Would you grab your Bibles and turn to Luke, Luke chapter 1. I apologize in advance if I have to cough or clear my throat a few times. It's just that time of year, I guess. Last week we talked about the promise from God to Zechariah for the, the Elijah to come for John the Baptist to arrive on the scene and declare that the Messiah was on his way. Do you guys remember that? Anybody remember that? Yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah, you've been in our prayers for quite some time. It's good to see you. Um, so if you don't know your history, the Israelites have been struggling, they've been suffering, they've been going through... Have you ever felt like, um, what's next? Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 we were just talking about, I mean, Ricky, he's been in our prayer list for quite some time, and, and, and I know there are several times during those prayers we felt like, what's next? I think we've all felt that way before, haven't we? We've all gone through some suffering, we've all gone through, through some suffering, some struggling, some, some despair. Uh, we, we begin to feel sorry for ourselves, perhaps, and we uh, feel that way, and yet, for us as believers, we have to be reminded that God is still God. God is still on the throne, and God's in the business of restoration, right? We talked about the word revival last week, if you remember. That happens because of God, only because of God, right? I'm going to read a text from Isaiah chapter 40. You'll remember another text we read last week uh, that spoke to the, the frustration, um, the Israelites' despair, suffering, and struggle and was crying out for a Messiah. But in chapter 40 is kind of where, if you don't know the book of Isaiah, it's kind of where everything turns on its head. This is what we call the second temple period. So the first temple period is when we gather at the temple and we recognize our sin, we recognize our despair, we recognize that a lot of our problems are incurred because of who we are, right? Uh, Jeremiah would say, above all else, the heart is desperately wicked. We need a Savior, and that Savior is the Messiah, and the Messiah is Jesus Christ. So the second temple period, Isaiah the prophet, is told these words. Now, mind you, this is 700 years, church, 700 years prior to Jesus arriving on the scene. Pretty amazing when you think about it. Look what he says. Comfort, and that's what you need when you're in despair, right? You need comfort. You need peace. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Victory, right? The word nakao. You see that in Revelation sometimes. I know some of you are going through Revelation. And the word nakao means Nike, right? Some of you have the swoosh on your shoes. It means victory. For the warfare has ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. That's good news. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Remember the message of John the Baptist? right? As he's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he stops for a second, and he looks over and he says, behold the Lamb of God. Somebody said it over here, who takes away the sin of the world, right? Prepare a way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert 
a highway for our God. This is good news, right? Every valley shall be lifted up. You ever been in a valley? For the Israelites, the Israelites, there's a, there's a section of the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. In Psalm 121 through about 125, 126, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And what's the ascent? A-S-C-E-N-T. What that means is as we're on our way to Jerusalem, as we're on our way to the temple, as we're on our way to worship God, we're in the valley. And there are people all around us. There are robbers, there are martyrs, there are, there are all these things that are going to try to take our lives and take our possessions. And we need to cry out to God for protection, right? That's the Psalms of Ascent. And you, you kind of get that flavor here in Isaiah chapter 40, where it says, every valley shall be lifted up. You hear the metaphorical valley versus mountain, right? And every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. God's going to make things right, it says. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. There's no secrets. You know, years ago there was a, a book series. Um, I think I've done this before, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but anybody read the series Left Behind? Left Behind series, Tim LaHaye, right? This idea of, of missing the rapture, that's not scriptural. Because you see what it says? Go back, verse 5 if you would. All flesh shall see it together. There's going to be no secrets, right? You're going to know when Christ comes back. Amen? Everybody's going to know when Christ comes back. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the Hebrew, that means you can take it to the bank. This is what God's going to do, right? God is faithful. And this is what God's going to do. God's in the business of restoration. God's in the business of revival. And you may feel like your circumstances outweigh God's goodness, but I can assure you, just like Chris said, there is no one beyond God's grace. No one. I mean, think about that for a second. That's good news, right? And God sees our plight, and God knows we live in a broken world. And God knows we suffer, and God knows we struggle, and God knows we have these seasons of despair, and God knows that we're prone to feel sorry for ourselves. And as He's done before, God will do it again. God sends the Messiah. That's the Christmas story. We've been going through Luke chapter 1, and we'll see again how the Israelites who are experiencing everything we just talked about in a negative way, they need to see some kind of victory from God. They need a Messiah. Let's pray. Father, for Your Word, I'm grateful. I'm grateful, Father, for the, the Christmas story. I'm grateful for the Gospel. And God, I suppose we all um, fall into the trap of, of feeling sorry for ourselves, of, of thinking that our plight is worse than, than um, anything that you could do, and you've done it before, and I pray that you would do it again. God, as we gather around this table, as we open your word, I pray that you would eliminate distractions, whether they're external or whether they're internal. I pray, God, that you will pour into us so that we can pour into one another and eventually pour into the world around us. And we give you the honor and the glory. Luke chapter 1, we'll pick up beginning reading in verse 26. 
again, the Israelites need some kind of good news. We need somebody to show up and say, there's hope despite the trouble. There's peace amidst the chaos. And that's what Jesus does. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, There's no need to be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He saves. That's what Joshua means. That's what Jesus means. He saves. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Amen. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it to be to me according to your word. And the angel, the messenger of God, departed from her. There's a few things I want to point out here, beginning in verse 26. In the text I just read, this is not a new text for any of you, right? You've all heard this account before, this narrative before. And chances are you'll probably hear it again, especially if you join us for Christmas Eve service. This is... The good news. This is the news that Isaiah speaks about in Isaiah chapter 40. Last week we saw that despite the natural, that is the barren Elizabeth, God sends Elijah, a man named John the Baptist, and changes everything. And his father, Zechariah, who is a priest, does not have the faith, I think you'll agree with me, he does not have the faith that many would think a priest would have, and he thinks that his natural circumstances outweigh the faithfulness of God. And that is simply not the case. If you'll remember, if you were with us last week, you recognize that Zechariah was sent out of his temple duties, and he's told he will not be able to speak again until this thing, this birth takes place, this, this Elijah, this prophet from God who will point everybody to Jesus Christ until he arrives on the scene, only then will Zechariah fully believe and only then will Zechariah fully be able to declare the goodness of God. Does that make sense? Anybody remember that? But he's not done. That's just part of the story. Remember, Zechariah or the prophet's primary mission is not just to call people out on sin. The primary mission of a prophet is to point people to God. You hear what I said? Yes, a prophet is the mouthpiece of God, and yes, he shows up on the scene, especially in the Old Testament, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, you're a sinner. Repent, 
Repent. Repent. That's a primary message of a prophet of God. But it's not the only primary message of the prophet of God. A prophet of God is called to point people back to God. Point to His faithfulness. Point to His holiness. Point to a gracious God. A God who gives grace, right? But also point to a God who is concerned with justice. Remember what we talked about? Valleys will be made, will rise. Mountains will be made low. Everything will be made right. Everything is restored all because of God. So the story continues. The same angel who showed up to Elizabeth and said, you will have a child, shows up to Mary and says, you will have a child, and you will name him Jesus. He saves. He saves. And she has some of the same questions that Zechariah has. You can't blame her, right? She's a 12- or 13-year-old Israelite young woman. She is young. And she understands how things work. You know what I'm talking about? How can this be? I want you to see beginning in verse verse 28 and also in verse 30 and see what it says in regards to what the angel tells Mary. You have that, Brandon? Verse 28, And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. That's good news, right? When you hear, Debbie, if you heard, Greetings, the Lord is with you. Especially if you recognize this figure, this person was from God, right? And he shows up and says, Greetings, the Lord is with you. You want that message, right? That is good news. That's that's the great Greatest proclamation, perhaps, that anybody's ever heard, right? The Lord is with you. That's good news, right? Emmanuel, how reminds us, right? Talked about that in the Gospel of Matthew. God with us. He goes on in verse 30 to say, And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Did you hear that? He says it twice. Greetings. You're favored. In verse 30, he says, Oh, favored one. Now, if you've been in a recent Bible study, at least with me, you understand the repetition in Scripture is important. You ought to pay attention, right? And in just two short verses, in verse 28, and then again in verse 30, the messenger from God, the angel, speaks to this little, I don't know how big she was, by little I mean she is young, and says, Greetings. You're favored. Now, why are you favored? Think with me for just a second. Why are you favored? In our world today, we would think, these houses that I'm looking at through the back doors over here, I've been told, I'm not sure, I haven't checked with realtors or anything like that, um, but I've been told that when they first began building those, those were $350,000, $400,000 houses, Right? And if I went through the neighborhood, I would say, because I know what my house costs, I would say, greetings, neighbor. You're favored. You understand what I'm saying? You see, we define favored in our world. In our, in our society today, favored means something much different than it did back then. What car do you drive? Where do you live? What kind of job do you have? 
What kind of clothes do you wear? What's on the table? You follow what I'm saying, right? The rich versus the poor. Those are all relative terms. You understand that, right? And God doesn't ever define things that way. It's not as, it's not as arbitrary as that. What, in other words, the question is, why is Mary, why is Mary favored? Why does it say, greetings, O favored one, or you are favored? You know why it is? Because it's that key phrase where it says, God is with you. Right? Mary had nothing to offer. It's interesting to me, throughout the Gospel of Luke, and I think I mentioned it to you last week, if I didn't, I should have, or at least I alluded to it, it's interesting to me, the Gospel of Luke, when we talk about the Gospel of Matthew, how we understand God with us means something, right? Emmanuel, and everybody says God with us, but it's not just a practice that we go through to go through the motions, it's to remember that God is here among us. The Gospel of Luke, on the other hand, has a little bit of a tweak. It's the same gospel, but the message is tweaked just a little bit in the sense that Matthew is writing to Jews who saying, Jesus, God with us, right? This is the Messiah you've been asking for, you've been begging for, and he's here. That's the message of Matthew. In Luke, the message is the same gospel, and yet it's for the poor. It's for the distraught. It's for the Gune. Can you, can you say gune? Gune? Gune. It means young woman. If you're a young woman in the ancient Near East, I'm looking at these young ladies here. If you're a woman in the ancient Near East, you have nothing. You are nothing. You understand what I'm saying? Your identity can only be found in a man who's going to go and provide some kind of job so that you can exist. You want to be married as quickly as possible so that you can begin to have children and everybody around you will know that you are blessed because of childbearing. You follow what I'm saying? Mary has nothing to offer. Another part of that theme throughout the Gospel of Luke is the poor. Now check me on this. Over the next several weeks, between now and the 25th, or even further, check me on this and tell me what you find. But I can assure you, you're going to find, if you read through the Gospel of Luke, it's not just hope and restoration for women, it's also hope and restoration for the poor. Who needs hope? Those who don't amount to anything, and the poor. Those who can't barter. You follow? So Mary has nothing to offer. If you don't go and get married, if you don't begin your childbearing age, what do you do? You find yourself in a world, in a lifestyle of prostitution. It's not a good way of life in the ancient Near East. And so it's interesting that when the angel of God shows up and says, greetings, you're a favored one, or greetings, you have been favored by God. Why? Because God is with you. You hear that? This morning in our Bible study, we were talking about identity, and we've been looking at David and Saul and Samuel and Jonathan, and one of the points that I wanted to try to make today had to do with identity. And Satan will try to convince us of who we are not. 
You hear what I'm saying? If you're a follower of Jesus, your identity is no longer your last name, where you come from, the languages you speak, how much money you have in the bank, your material possessions, all the things that society would say. When God comes into our life, buried with Christ in baptism, right? Risen to walk in a newness of life, your identity has been changed, right? Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Right? If you're a follower, does that make sense? You're favored not because of where you come from. You're favored not because of your last name. You're favored not because you're smarter than anybody else. You're favored because God is with you. The Holy Spirit lives in our life. And the reason that we're favored, the reason that we understand and receive blessings is because God is faithful. And He provides for us. I, I think that's interesting when you think about the Christmas story and whether you've thought about it before or not. I want you to understand those verse 28 and verse 30 where the angel tells Mary, she's favored, not because she is a she has nothing to offer other than her attitude. We'll see that here in just a second, her response. But I think you'll agree with me, in the ancient Near East, this is an interesting thing when he says, you are favored. And you are favored because of God's presence. The second point I want to make this morning is look at verse 35, if you will. Look down in verse 35. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She recognizes, hey, something's got to take place if I'm going to have a baby, right? In verse 34, she asks the same question. It sounds somewhat similar to Zechariah. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, look, look, I want you to see. There's a couple of phrases here that are really, really important in verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Why are you favored, Mary? Because God is with you. God's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. In other words, I don't have to make the marriage with Joseph any quicker. No, we're not talking about natural things, Mary. We're talking about something supernatural. We're talking about God showing up and changing the equation. You follow? How, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Right? This does not make any sense. And the angel recognizes that. Natural, supernatural. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's number one. When you're buried with Christ in baptism, when that flesh, symbolic, that flesh dies and you're risen to walk in a newness of life, you know what causes that newness of life? It's no longer your flesh, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God with, with us. It's Emmanuel, right? It's God going, Paul would say, we're the temple of the Spirit. Right? We, we were, we were, the Spirit resides within us. That should change the way we live. That's the, that should change the way we interact with God. It should change the way we interact with each other. It should change the way we interact with the world. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now think with me for a second. What's the power of the Most High? That's a rhetorical question. I just want you to think about it. Chew on it for a second. What's the power? Of, some of you have already got it. What's the power of the Most High? You know what I think it is? Or at least an example of it is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God, and how did He create? 
just by his word. You understand what I'm saying? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's John 1, 1 through 4. But you, you get the idea, right? The power of the Most High, this, this power is unmatched. It's bigger than any army you can imagine. And if you're a Jew, what, where does power come from? If you're a Jew in the ancient Near East, think with me for just a second. The power is equated with the Roman Empire. That's all they know. The reason they're depressed, the reason they're distraught, the reason they're over in a corner somewhere feeling sorry for themselves, who really, really need some victory, we really need some good news here, God, right? It's because the Romans have had their thumb on us for so long, we need the Messiah to show up. We need someone from God to come make things right. Right? Well, what happens when Mary is told he will not just be, well, it won't just be the Holy Spirit come upon you. That's important. But the second thing, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You know what that is? It's prophetic, right? It speaks to her womb. More specifically, what will be in her womb? Jesus. Yes? Huge. This is a big deal. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You guys know the book of Acts, right? Oftentimes we, we talk about that and we, we think, oh, it's a, the Acts of the Apostles. It's not just the Acts of the Apostles. It's more than that. I think we talked about it this last week. It's, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. You hear the difference? In other words, what, what caused 120 in the upper room to become 3,000, to become 5,000, the church to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the utter ends of the earth? What caused it is the Holy Spirit, right? They can't do it on their own. It's not just Peter. It's not just James. It's not just John. It's not just the elders here. It's not just the preacher. It's the Holy Spirit, right? And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, write this down if you're taking notes. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have the thesis for the book of Acts. Luke writes the book of Acts, and he writes it right after he writes the Gospel of Luke. And he, and he talks about Jesus right before his ascension, and Jesus says, you will go to the upper room, go to Jerusalem, and you will receive, stay there until you receive, what? Dunamis, power. Not just power. Not just power like the Roman authorities have power. Not just the emperor who thinks he's got power, you know, kind of ha-ha-ha, right? No, we're talking about dunamis. It's the word we get dynamite from. You'll receive power from on high. And guess what? You will change the world. Or, more importantly, he will change the world. He just wants you to be used, right? Back to verse uh, 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's number one. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called, this is number three, holy. This is easy. Here's softball. What does holy mean? It means set apart, right? Holy means set apart. It means hagas, means set apart. You're, you're to be distinct from the rest of the world, right? You live in a dark world, you're supposed to be light. 
Number three is, he will be called holy. He will be set apart. And why is he set apart? Because he's Jesus. Because he's God. Do you understand what's going on here with Luke? Right? It's not just Zechariah who is Elijah, the prophet. Now, Luke is saying, this individual, and I use that term um, in a very respectful way, this individual, this one to be born to a Jewish woman, is more than just somebody from Nazareth. I think we'll all agree on that. This, this is the incarnation. We call the incarnation. God indwelling and coming to live among us. We've talked before about the Philippians 2 text where Paul says, hey, church, there's divisions among you, but you should have the mind of Christ. Well, Paul, tells, tell us what the mind of Christ is. Well, let me tell you what the mind of Christ is. He was God. He is God. And yet he gave up equality with God and he came and lived among us. He's talking about the incarnation. Do you hear that? Why would God ever come and live among us if it weren't for love? There is no other God, right? The Muslims can't point to a God who does that. The Buddhists can't do that. The Hindus can't do that. Nobody, nobody can do that except for Christians, except for followers of Jesus Christ. Because we really believe in John 1.1 where it says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning? Yeah. Jesus was even in the beginning. Pre-incarnate. Before He came and lived among us. He was there at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when God spoke things in Genesis 1, 26. If you don't know it, you need to know it. It's plural. It says, let us make man in our, our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Right? Well, we call ourselves Trinitarians. We believe in God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. But let us make man in our image. We believe that Jesus was there even in Genesis 1, verse 1. And yet He came. And He lived among us. Is that not love? And that's what Paul tells us to do. Have the mind of Christ. Have that sacrificial mindset. Well, how is that possible? Well, we've already talked about some of it. You have been equipped with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, right? Go back to verse 35, please. And you have these, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High God, and then notice, you will be set apart, you'll be holy, and this last phrase, the Son of God. Now, we read that in the English church, and we say, okay, He's the Son of God. No. For a Jew, this meant Messiah. This meant the Anointed One. This meant something special. The Son, of, it goes all the way back to Daniel. The Son of God. You hear that? Okay, now put yourself in a 12, 13-year-old Jewish girl's mind and you're told this by an angel of, of God. One more time, Brandon. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. I think that's pretty evident. There's an angel standing before me. Right? The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Wow, that's, 
Not quite sure what that means yet, but okay, I'll start to chew on that a little bit. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. There's some translations that say when Gabriel shows up to Mary, she was greatly afraid. You think? She was perplexed. She didn't understand what kind of greeting this would be, and nor would you, and neither would I, right? But guess what? This is what's happening. We'll, we'll look at her song next week. But, but I want you to see the promise that comes from the angel to this young Jewish woman who has nothing to offer. So far, we're kind of on par with the story we talked about last week. That is, the angel showing up to, Gabe, uh, to Zechariah and saying, Elizabeth's pregnant, right? Now it kind of changes. I want you to look down in verse 38. Well, let me read 36 and 37 as well. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. In other words, hey Mary, don't be defined by natural circumstances, right? Now, you may think you see things a certain way, but you need to understand you only see things through natural eyes. You follow what I'm saying? Peter, Peter's a good example of that, right? Wait a minute, I'm not going to get out of the boat because my eyes show me there's water. that tension going on between seeing things in natural eyes versus spiritual eyes, right? If you really believe that Jesus is there, if you really believe that God's there, everything's possible. In other words, time or any kind of parameters, I mean, let's just throw it all in. There's no paradigm, there's no parameters, there's no limitations that confines God. You understand what I'm saying? God is what we call transcendent. He's outside of time. He's outside of space. He's outside of any kind of limitations. For those people that always say, well, God can never, that always kind of, oh, I don't, I don't like that. I, I understand what you're saying. God can never lie. Uh, I understand what you're saying, but yeah, God could lie. He just doesn't because it's, not, it's against his character. You follow what I'm saying? There's no limitations on God. And so the angel says, everything's possible. Now, notice her response in verse 38. Look, look, if you will. And Mary said, remember what Zechariah did? He went mute. But Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, whatever you want to do. Doesn't that show some faith? Man, that's, that's a tremendous amount of faith. And I'm thinking, hey, if we could learn from a 12-year-old girl that kind of faith. Remember the Gospels when Jesus said, you know, the apostles are gathered around, and by this time Jesus in his public ministry has started gathering all these people. They've, they've come to see the show. You know what I'm saying? What's he going to do next, right? I heard last week he made the lame walk, or I heard a blind man got up and, and began to praise because he could see and 
What's it going to do next? And so they start showing up, right? They come out of the woodworks, like a fellowship dinner, you know. The, the kids are running around, and they want to go sit on Jesus' lap. And I, I, I don't know about you. I picture Jesus interacting with old people and young people and everybody in between, having time for everybody. You follow what I'm saying? Well, this, because they've identified things that society says we can do and can't do, the apostles are a little upset, and they say, hey, you can't bother the teacher. He's teaching, right? Make sure the kids are over at the kids' table, and we'll do the important things over here. They never said that, but that's kind of the idea, right? And what does Jesus say? And he's talking about faith. He's talking about faith. Unless you become like a child in your faith, right? You can never enter the kingdom of God. Unless you become... So let me ask you, have you, have you made that response like the 12-year-old virgin in Israel made? Have you gotten to a place where you said, not my will, but yours be done? Have you gotten to a place where you say, hey... Man, my natural tendency is to put certain limitations on things, but I guarantee you God is greater than these circumstances. It changes your perspective. It does every. I mean, I'll just be right honest with you real quick. I, I, I'm, the, I'm the doubting Thomas all too often. Remember Thomas, right? We throw him under the bus, but I'm, I'm Thomas. Unless I see, unless I touch, Unless I feel, then, then and only then will I believe. How many of you need evidence like that, right? Honest. And Jesus says, hey, you're blessed. Or you're favored. You've seen. You've touched. You've realized this is not a show. This is, I was dead and now I'm alive, right? But he goes on to say, and I think he has you in mind. I think he has me in mind. He goes on to say, but blessed are those who aren't able to see and aren't able to touch, at least in a physical way, and yet they believe. That's you and I, right? That's beyond the natural. That's taking the senses completely out of it and recognizing that when God shows up in our life, he gets to define everything. I don't. And you don't. Right? So as I close, let me ask you a couple of questions. This Christmas, this is not a new story, as I mentioned began. This is not a new story. You've all heard it before. You'll hear it again before we're done this month. But I want you to spend some time with Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. And I want you to spend some time with this young 12-year-old virgin named Mary. And I'm not talking about adoration. I'm not talking about worship or anything like that. I just want you to see the example given to us by the Gospel writer Luke and see what it means to be a person of faith. As opposed to the priests that we talked about last week, right? This priest named Zechariah, his response versus the response that we see in verse 38 where Mary says, I'm a child of God, I'm a servant of God, may it be to me as you have said. Pretty amazing, right? 
Is that the kind of faith you have? Is that the kind of faith I have? Second question, last question. What does it mean in verse 35 when we see these phrases? When we see the power of the Most High will come upon you, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The Holy One, the Son of God, will enter our world. Because you understand there can never be a crucifixion there could never be a resurrection without a birth. Do you understand that? We're all too quick to get to Easter. We're all too quick to get to Easter and celebrate the resurrection. But to have the resurrection, we need to have a birth. God coming and living among us as filthy as this world is. Is that not love? Now what do you do with it? I guess that's yet to be determined. Let's pray. Father, for your word, for the gospel, for the Christmas story, for the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, for all the spiritual gifts that we are told about, and for all the spiritual gifts that are evident in the person Jesus of Nazareth. We recognize, God, that he's fully man, but he's also fully God. We recognize that the love is unmatched. And to think that you would come and live among us and you would die for us, I guess I can do the best I can, but that's only what I can do. I mean, my, my words even are limited. And I pray that this Christmas season, as we need hope, as we anticipate good things, as we uh, consider that victory only comes through Jesus Christ, I pray that this Christmas would be different than all of the Christmases. If there's someone here today, God, that doesn't know you, I pray today is the day of salvation. For those of us who need recalibration, I pray that as well. May your spirit do what your spirit does. Restore, revive, Make us